Oh man. <laughs> you know, a lot of times. Yeah, that's it, right? I mean, <clears throat> the groanings. Groanings. Um, and many times that's just where we need to find ourselves. at the Lord's feet <laughs> you know um, submitted to him I think that's the biggest hurdle for people the biggest hurdle for non-believers is to come to the fact where they realize that they cannot do it alone that they need help that they need help from someone and something that's greater than them and, and mysticism and all these different world religions they try to appease that but there's only one true and living god yes. the god man jesus christ he gave his life so that we can be redeemed that's it right <laughs> that's it i mean the, the gospel message is, is very simple as uh, we're uh, <laughs> we're labeled a uh, dumb sheep <laughs> And, and, you know, the Lord made it very simple for us. But, yeah, oh, man, that's a that's a rich song, man. Just, uh, Lord, I need you. Right? That should be, that should be every believer's theme more and more as time goes on and you're granted another day to live, right? That's a good way to gauge, like, are you on par with what the Lord is doing in your life? Lord, Lord willing... <laughs> He tarries that long. I, I'll be able to be 65 one day. And I better be at 65 depending on him a whole lot more than I'm depending on him now at 43. But I could look back at from when I was 25 years old till now, and I need him a whole lot more. I could look back yesterday. I need him a whole lot more. That's just a beautiful place to be. It's just crowd to the Lord. <laughs> crowd to the Lord. And he's going to come in, and he's going to not cater to you. But he's going to give you everything that you need. You need that comfort. You need that encouragement. Maybe you need that kind of swift kick in the butt to get you moving and what the Lord has for you. He'll do it. <laughs> right? Because the word says he chastens those he loves. Those are those that are his. And so, uh, you know, all those things are great for us. Uh, this morning, uh, we'll be in uh, Revelation chapter 14. Um, the Lord's servant Daniel did a great job last two weeks. Uh, it was great. It was great to uh, sit under that teaching and get fed. And I'll say it again. I'm just grateful to be a part of a true Bible-believing remnant church that teaches and preaches. I, I consider Daniel uh, more of a teacher than me. I think I'm more of a, a, a preacher. But nonetheless, you're going to get solid biblical preaching and teaching here and so it was just a it was just a good it was a good time it was a rich time and uh, with that we'll be in revelation chapter 14 this morning and we'll be going through verses one through five i've entitled or excuse me uh, the lord has entitled this message the lamb and the 144,000." so uh when you get there revelation chapter 14 uh we'll start in verse one we'll go down to verse five uh, please stand for the reading of god's word <clears throat> and then we'll begin all right, and it says, speaking of the Apostle John, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 
who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, we praise you for your goodness. The fact that you are our provider, uh, Jehovah Jireh, our banner, Jehovah Nisi. I love these names, these Hebrew names of, of just your attributes and how great you are and how you always come to provide for your people. Lord, please Bless us with insight today. May we understand your word. May you give us the ability to rightly divide it. May I be emptied of myself and filled fresh with the Holy Spirit to be able to minister this word to your people. May we have hearts that are open to receive your word. And most of all, give us the ability and the wisdom to apply what we learn this morning to our very lives. Father, we thank you. We give you all praise, honor, and glory. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So a quick check-in, because there was a lot that went on. Um, you know, I, I really didn't realize how much I needed that break. You know, I was like, man, I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, the Lord's given me a, a zeal for righteousness, and, and I, I'm fine. Uh, but, you know, the Lord uh, blessed me and gave me vision in that little mini two-week sabbatical, if you will. And I want to share that with you because I believe it's important for you to understand what the Lord is showing me as the under-shepherd of this church. Now, you know, in our country, in the world at large, it's just a lot of chaos going on. Um, and, 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 and I'm not even going to say I would love to tell you it's going to get better. It is going to get better in the sense that Jesus Christ is going to return one day, that day or that hour. None of us know only the Father in heaven. But the reality is the events of the world around you are only going to get more chaotic and spiral more out of control. The caveat is God in his providence is in control of all things. So nothing essentially is out of control. Amen. Amen. It is just lawlessness that abounds in the human heart since the beginning, since the garden. And you're seeing the wickedness of that unregenerated heart in the lives of men, women, and children. Those who are either refusing to receive the correction and the gift of salvation and they're acting out. And Satan knows that his time is short. And so you're going to see lawless events and actions occur more and more. Again, there's no gun law that's going to redeem or make better the situation. I don't care if you're 18 or 21 years old to buy an AK-47. If your heart's not regenerated, you're not going to utilize 
that piece of equipment the right way. And if you get mad enough, you will pick up that gun and kill someone. What did Jesus say? If you harbor hate in your heart, you're already a murderer. You just have to carry out the physical act. So you see, it's so much deeper than going to government and saying we need this and that past. No, we need to call sin what it is and we need to repent. And the church needs to be that true remnant church and intercede on the behalf of those that are lost in lawlessness. The Bible is clear. Your land will perish. Your land will not be fruitful unless you repent and return to your first love. And so in this, in these grieving times, I had moments of grief when I went into my prayer closet hearing about these young children being gunned down in, in, in that school in Texas and all the other craziness that was going on in that week. There was like uh, the week, 10 days, not even 10 days before, a bunch of people got killed in Buffalo for uh, that shooting when the person went into the supermarket. And, and uh, the same week of the, the children being killed in the, in, in the school, I think there was someone in Oklahoma that went up in some medical building and started killing people. And I just was grieved. I'm like, Lord, what is going on? You know, I started getting emotional. <laughs> my, my flesh started to take precedence over my spirit. And the Lord led me to the book of Habakkuk. And as I went through that book, oh man, I got so refreshed and I was so encouraged because as that prophet saw all of the wickedness that Judah chose to go into, the Lord had to judge his people. And so they were overtaken by Babylon. And even in that, in the lawlessness that abounded then, what did Habakkuk do in, the, in, in, in one of the later chapters? He, he praises the Lord. He says, even though the crops don't grow, I will still praise your name. For you are my provider. You are my protector. You are the one who goes before me. But the Lord wasn't done with me. After the book of Habakkuk, the next week he led me through the book of Lamentations. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm starting to see a theme here. And you see how Jeremiah, I mean, the weeping prophet, he's just teary-eyed. His heart is grieved over the wickedness of the people. The people would not repent they, 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 they reveled in the idolatrous worship, these, these unhealthy religious practices of these pagan people around them, and they adopted these things. You know, we, we all know about Easter and the eggs and what they were really doing in the temple. It's not about a bunny. They were doing some other stuff. But all, the, all this kind of recklessness. And because the people of Israel would not repent, once again, we see the Lord having to administer righteous judgment upon his people because he loves them too much to let them just cower away in wickedness. And then the Lord led me to the book of Nehemiah, and that's where I'm at. Currently, I'm in chapter 7 of the book of Nehemiah. And then I said, man, Lord, you're so good. I mean, the Lord's so good. He's, he's, he's showing, this is not something I can make up. This is the Holy Spirit whispering to me, keeping going to these books. I'm showing you what's happening to your country. I'm showing you what's happening to America. You see, because in Nehemiah, he didn't live, per se, in, in the land, right? But he had a heart for the people. He saw the walls were broken down. The walls were broken down for what? A hundred years. Nehemiah was in prayer about the situation for four months, and in 52 days, the walls were restored. So what that showed me was, first of all, 
It's always a spiritual battle. The spiritual component took way more time, way more dedication, way more foresight. The physical act of what had to be done got done fairly quickly. What the Lord also showed me was there's a work to be done. We have to remember in the book of Nehemiah, there were different gates that represented different things that went on within the community. And each gate was represented by a family. And every man did his part. So what that showed me was you look at the state of America and I know, you know what, I'm not going to get into prophetic things, but the reality is this country is not going to be here when it's all said and done. But if we want to see a last harvest of souls in America before whatever our fate is, it starts in the family. We have so many fractured families in this country, so many broken families in this country, so many men that are not doing what they need to be doing. Pouring into their wives, pouring into their children, hearing from the Lord, living above reproach. If we want to see restoration and healing, we need to get to a place where we say revival starts with me. And it's serious. And it's not this game. It's not this. I just come to a church service on Sunday and that's it. But that every waking moment of your life and my life, there is such a burden upon us to do something for the Lord. For without that, all you're going to see is more of the same. We need to rebuild the spiritual walls that protect our families and communities, standing guard at the gate daily. For our enemy is prowling around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. You see, and if you don't have your guard up and if you're not in this word more and more every day, like delighting in it. I found myself one day this week and I'm studying and you know, I, I get up fairly early because that's the, 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 the best time for me to actually be with the Lord alone. And I was just rejoicing. I'm just like, Lord, this is the best. Better than being with my wife, better than being with my kids. It's not that I don't love my wife dearly and I don't love my kids dearly, but I love the Lord so much because I realize what he's done for me. And those times are so rich. But you see, if we're not in that place, our guard's going to be left down. And when the attack comes, we are going to be ill prepared to defend ourselves against it. I found this quote, this quote, excuse me, from Mark Twain, and I think it's very fitting. For those of you who know who Mark Twain is, uh, some of you the youngsters, I don't know, maybe Emily had to study it. <laughs> study him, you know, she knows. Okay. <laughs> I'm dating myself. Well, you know, my son definitely don't know who Mark Twain is. He don't know who Huckleberry Finn is. None of that. <laughs> they don't, well, they don't even do Pledge of Allegiance <laughs> in the schools anymore. So, you know, dare I say. Anyways, this is a quote. This is Mark Twain. He says, it's not the parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. Man, that floored me. Let that sink in for a minute. It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand. It's the parts I do. The book of James is pretty clear. The book of James says, you look intently into the mirror of God, which is the word of God, and you're a fool if you walk away and forget what you look like. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Doesn't that penetrate? That bothered him. That bothered him. The word says, don't just hear. Do. You see, 
Application is so important in our Christian life. We have enough people running around with all this head knowledge, spouting off verses, saying this and that. We need people that are actually, as Vernon McGee would say, rubber meets the road. Get out there and do something in your family, in your community, in your sphere of influence. Be an agent for redemption through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit working in your life. That's what we need. And that is our task at hand today. So last week, we learned about Satan's whole game plan and how the whole game plan of the enemy, our enemy, is based on deception. He's a deceiver. He's a deceiver. There will be a false trinity that will be given the authority to rise up and deceive many a people, many a nation. We saw that time and time again, everything the enemy does is counterfeit compared to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Daniel uh, taught great on that about uh, how, you know, uh, gashed in the head and, and, and fake a false resurrection and people will be wowed by it, the fire coming down from heaven. But these are all counterfeit acts that the enemy will do trying to convince people who are not sound in their faith that he is the Messiah when he is not. Through many means of deception, many will receive the mark of the beast on their forehead or their right hands. And without this mark, people will be prohibited to buy or sell anything. Once again, we will see that by these means in which Satan will try to force people to bow down to him and worship. That, that's what he's after. That's what he's after. He wants you and I to submit to him, to worship him. It's a, it's a hollow attempt, but that's what he's after. And he's going to do that by controlling the basic necessities to life, a physical survival. You know, you ever, I mean, you, you look at, um, you look at, um, why can I not remember his name? But you know who I'm talking about. The ball lentils. <laughs> no, not ball. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she, she said Bear Grylls. <laughs> No, no, I'm sorry, Jacob and Esau. No, no, it's all, I'm not making fun. I'm not poking fun. I, I lost my, I lost, no. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. No, but Jacob and Esau, right? I mean, Esau's like, I'm so hungry, I'm starving. He sold his birthright. He gave it away. That's the same thing we're seeing here. People, I can't buy, I can't sell. Put it on me. You know, we already see it now. People gearing up. Oh, man, crypto's the the, the new way to invest. And there's going to be a collapse soon. And, you know, the digital uh, system for money. And you better get in now where, where, you know, where it's hot. What did Paul say? Man, I've learned to be content with much or with little. Who is my portion? Is it finances? No, it's Jesus Christ. He is my portion. Time and time again, I've seen in my life the Lord come through over and over again, starting with my salvation. And he's never let me go. So even in the difficult times of life, we cannot be those that give in and succumb to the ways of this world. 
just for a means of eating. I mean, you all you have to do is go back in the Old Testament. It got so so deep in some of those books that I told you about earlier that women were getting their babies and eating them, cooking them in stew. It was hardcore. Imagine eating your child. I mean, imagine putting your child in stew and boiling it, the, the little baby. It's raw. The Bible is raw. It gets real rugged. You know, a lot of Christians don't want to hear that. Oh, don't. I'm not going to candy coat the word. This is what the Lord is showing me. We're going to see times like that. I'll die with my babies in my arms. I ain't going to eat them. You know, I'm going to be that dude that's like strapping them up and whatever. Let it hit me first. And if it goes through both of us, it is what it is. Or all three of us, it is what it is. But I'm not going to go there. But again, who is your portion? Who is your portion? Who are you looking to? Who am I looking to? You see, once again, this will be the means by which Satan will try to force people to bow down and worship him by controlling, like I said, the basic needs of survival. But aren't you so glad that Jesus Christ told Satan in the in the wilderness in Matthew chapter four, verse four? This is a great verse to remember. Oh, my gosh. I teach it to my son and my daughter every night. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said it right there. You're not going to live by bread alone. Don't just try to live to feed your physical. Me and Sal were talking about this this morning. Man, I'm getting wrinklier by the day. I'm getting more bags under my eyes by the day. I'm getting grayer by the day. What does that mean? It means my physical body is decaying. That means I'm a sojourner in this life. This is not my home. I'm moving through this life. And one day I'm going to be in my best life. In heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. But for now, this is my plot in life to thug it out here for the Lord and do what I got to do and not live for everything like it's down here. That's that fake prosperity nonsense that they're teaching. You know, talking about don't struggle, don't go through pain. There were the early Christians that said they were not worthy to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Peter got uh, he got crucified upside down because he didn't find himself worthy to be crucified right side up like Jesus Christ. But you've got a whole prosperity gospel that they're teaching. If you just do what you got to do and love the Lord, he's going to give you everything you want now. And you're going to be able to make out like a bandit. You've got a gang of people bouncing out to Texas because they're trying to buy a little mini mansion and live. Come on now. Come on now. That ain't real. That ain't real. Go through no struggle. How is that real Christianity? If you're really living the Christian life, you're going to go through it. You're going to go through opposition, be it for sure spiritual. And many times it may manifest itself in the physical realm. But that doesn't mean you just jump ship. Who do you read in the Bible where it says they bounced because it got hard? Nobody took off. Everybody had to stay put and stand their ground. You see, that's the, that's the thing that's going on within the church today. You got those that will stand and you got those that are cowering back because it's getting difficult. Like I said, <laughs> it's going to get more difficult. This is where we're at. There is no going back. Yeah, there's part of me that wishes oh, I could just go back to, you know, 
Saturday afternoons, everything's easy peasy. Watch some college football, whatever, NFL on a Sunday. It ain't going back to that. Those things are still there, but they're just distractions. And I'm not saying in and of themselves they're bad and evil things, but the day and age of it just being easy peasy, it's not. You look at the price of gas. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get to $10. <laughs> it's getting off the hook. Shortages of all kinds of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised there's even toilet paper in Costco right now. You know how that goes first. Everybody wants their toilet paper. You know, but these things are transpiring more and more. Again, going back to Matthew 4, 4, this is a great reminder today that we should not fear the one who can destroy the body. Better yet, we should have a reverent fear for the one who can not only destroy the body, but has the authority to cast one's soul to hell. Today, we will begin to take a look at the true Messiah, the Lamb of God, not the counterfeit, and the genuine seal that Jesus Christ places upon his followers we will see that the 144,000 remnant of true believing Jews will be recognized as the first fruits of mankind used to spread the gospel message for the final harvest of souls before this world is destroyed and Satan will be eternally condemned. We have several main points and the first one is this. There is a great difference between Jesus Christ's seal and Satan's mark. As we begin chapter 14, we will see that the Apostle John saw the Lamb, Jesus Christ, standing on Mount Zion. Jesus here has returned to Jerusalem at the end of the tribulation. He is ready to begin his earthly kingdom. With him on Mount Zion are the 144,000 sealed Jewish, Jewish believers excuse me, who have survived the tribulation. They have triumphed over all of its turmoil and persecution. This is the same group of saved Jews that we read about in Revelation chapter 7. In that chapter, these saved Jews receive the seal of the living God on their foreheads. In that chapter, it describes the 144,000 as having the name of the Lamb and His Father on their foreheads. This seal marks them as belonging to God Almighty as His servants. You see, this is a great contrast to unbelieving Jews and Gentiles who receive the mark of the beast. In Greek, there's a great difference between the words seal and mark, especially in drastic terms. One means a signature or signet, right? Like the king, uh, the ring of a king, and they would put, he would put it on the letter, and that would be the seal. And the other means a brand, like putting on an animal, and Daniel uh, touched on that last week. The, these believing Jews are sealed with the authenticity of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, not merely marked or branded like an animal ready to be slaughtered. It's crazy. Now, it's so much crazy. I mean, even you know, even earrings. I mean, I wear earrings. They, they, we, we, we want it to have a different meaning now, but you know, back in the slave trade days, that's what the earrings were for. They would pop an earring on somebody and that's how you were marked. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. You, you know, some of the some of them, you know, you go to um, you go to African-American colleges and sometimes they still do the, the branding and all that. But, you know, all that has to do with, again, marking, marking the animal, <laughs> marking the animal ready to be slaughtered. There's a big difference between God's seal and Satan's mark. The second main point is this true redemption will always result in the exaltation of Jesus Christ through song and praise. That's why you have some parts of the Bible that are so singy, songy. I definitely believe there definitely needs to be a balance, but there, there is a place for song and praise within the house of God or within our lives as 
living, uh, living uh, temples of God, if you will. <clears throat> As we see here in our text, 144,000 who were delivered by the Lamb rejoiced over their salvation. They sung a new song before the four living creatures and the 24 elders. This was a unique song that only they would know. Nonetheless, the common theme we see here is the fact that when a sinner is saved, given a new regenerated heart by the true and living God, only one response can be. And that should be praise and adoration to the one who delivered him or her. It has to be that way. If you are not praising God, so to speak, screaming from the top of your heart in adoration from what you've been saved from, dare I say you don't realize what you've been saved from. A closed mouth is a mouth that does not know. <laughs> they don't know. And that's why I said, and I, obviously the Holy Spirit leads. And so it's not chaotic, it's not out of control, it's not rolling around, tumbling on the ground like a tumbleweed. I don't believe that that is led by the Holy Spirit. Right? There's order in the family of God, but there is a place for adoration and praise and thanksgiving because we realize what we have been saved from. This is the response of all who have ever been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. I was just sitting back and I was in the praise and worship through singing this morning. It's like I just felt the energy. I felt the power because I'm hearing it in the voices of people that are crying out to the Lord. And that's how it should be. But don't take my word for it. This is what the word of God says. Psalms chapter 40, verse three. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Again, do you, do you see how important your witness, your personal witness is to the world around you, people will come to have a reverent fear of God based on your authenticity of being a true follower of Jesus Christ and standing your ground in integrity and living for the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. You see, remember when God delivered the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt and led them safely through the Red Sea. Moses and the Hebrews sang a song about their experience. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 15. They praised God for redeeming them from the clutches of Pharaoh. Now it seems reasonable to think that the song mentioned in Revelation chapter 14 verse 3 focuses on God's power in purchasing the 144,000 by the blood of the Lamb and protecting them through the tribulation. If we are ashamed to sing and praise to the one who rescued us from sin, death, and hell, we probably don't fully understand what we have been saved from. You see, because before any of us were saved, the wrath of God was hanging over our heads. A lifestyle of praise and worship to Jehovah Jireh, your provider, my provider, is the least of our reasonable service. It's the least that we could do. It's to just, just thank him. Let's just thank him. That's why sometimes people just cry. It's not necessarily a, a pure emotional response, but it's like it's all you could do. There's not any words that can express how you feel for what's been done for you. And you just cry out to the Lord in praise and adoration, thanking him for what he has done. Amen. 
All right, the third main point is this. The 144,000 redeemed Jews are the first fruits of all saved people in the last harvest before the end of the world. The 144,000 are, are called virgins here. The Greek word uh, used here is parthoni. Uh, parthoni, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Most often a reference to those who have abstained from sexual relations. Like these men physically did abstain from any kind of sexual relations. Likewise, this same word can also be used as a reference to spiritual purity. These men also refuse to participate in the idolatrous worship of the beast. They are like the wise virgins. Remember that Jesus described as having the oil in their lamps while they waited for the bridegroom. That's Matthew chapter 25, if you are, care to know, verses 1 through 13. Similarly, the 140. 44,000 are faithfully waiting for Jesus, the bridegroom, to return with his bride, the church, to celebrate the marriage supper on earth. Instead of following the beast, as so many will do in the tribulation, the 144,000 follow the lamb wherever he goes. They are obedient servants of the Lord. They have been redeemed, washed in the blood of the lamb. As redeemed tribulation Jews, they are the first fruits of God and the lamb. They precede the vast number of Jews who believe on their Messiah at the end of the tribulation and enter Jesus' kingdom here on earth. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 tells us, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace. And pleads for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. All right, so that's our framework for uh, this morning. And so first off, let's just look at the bulk of the messages in uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then I looked, and behold, on the mount." Mount Zion and stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing their harps, and uh, they were singing a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and before the elders. No one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. Okay, so the first portion here, we see that the lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him we see the 144,000. Again, this is the same uh, group of people that were identified in Revelation chapter 7, and these Jewish believers uh, will minister to others during the Great Tribulation, and they're given a seal of protection through that period. Since they stand on Mount Zion with the Lamb, it shows that they emerge victorious from the Great Tribulation. The beast of Revelation chapter 13 certainly has not defeated them. Here they are triumphant, worshiping, and standing firm with Jesus Christ. You see, this chapter will answer two important questions raised by chapter 13 of, of the last two weeks that we went through. Let's face it, let's just be honest. The false trinity is a bit unsettling. It is. It's a bit unsettling. I, I, I'm unsettled by it. You know, I'm like, this is, that's pretty crazy. That's not cool. But, uh, you know, just you look at Revelation 13, 7, the fact that he can make war against the saints and overcome them. Man, well, you see, if we're not stable in our faith, we're going to be like, oh, I'm going to be overtaken. That doesn't necessarily mean that, but I'll get into what that means in just a bit. Remember, the Antichrist, the beast, seems to come from the sea, right? And becomes a worldwide power. The whole world will feel the impact of his rule. 
He will exercise his authority over tribe, people, language, and nation. No doubt there will be no law but his law at this time. No one will be able to disregard him or, or fail to worship him without risking their life. The beast will make the saints his personal target. He will conquer the saints, meaning he will be able to oppress, kill, and abuse them. That doesn't mean that their soul is without a home in the Lord, but it means that physically they can be attacked and killed by him. However, he will be unable, like I said, to destroy their faith and fully exterminate them. So it is fair that a non-believer, right, someone who doesn't know the Lord would ask this question. Is the beast completely victorious over all God's people? Well, all I got to say is praise the Lord for his plan in the presence of the 144,000 on Mount Zion with him. The answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. The, the, the enemy of our souls is not in control. He is not conquering God's people. The second question has to do with this satanic dictator himself. What happens to the beast and his followers? Well, the rest of this chapter will answer that question. So you have to stay put. Come back next week. <laughs> next, we see the 144,000 standing on Mount Zion. They gathered on Mount Zion because Zion, the ancient name for the hills that make up Jerusalem, is the place where the Messiah gathers his redeemed and reigns over the earth. And I have several uh, scriptures to uh, reinforce that, as the Bible always does. Isaiah chapter 24, verse 23. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and his glory will be before his elders. Joel chapter 2 verse 32. It says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Micah chapter 4 verse 7 tells us, And the lame I will make the remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forever. There's also Psalm chapter 48, Obadiah chapter 17, Obadiah chapter 21. These all refer to Mount Zion being the place where the Messiah will gather his chosen people. So it's crystal clear, pulling no punches. It's not rocket science. This is where it's at. The 144,000 are like the young Jewish men who survived the fiery furnace of Daniel chapter 3, verse 19 through 25. We know the account. I'm not necessarily going to go through those verses, uh, Lou was actually, we were just talking about that this morning right before uh, service started. But you, we all know, <laughs> as uh, Pastor Nick would say, King Nebi, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Influenced by Satan, wants all people of the land to worship him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, no, <laughs> we're serving the true and living God. So Nebuchadnezzar got mad. He said, I'm ordering you to get thrown in the furnace. He was so indignant about their stance for, for the Lord Jesus Christ that he told his servants, turn it up, <laughs> seven times hotter. But the irony of that is <laughs> these wicked men, <laughs> they got burned up. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go in there. And then uh, one of Kenebi, uh, Nebi's men's like, there's a fourth person in there. 
And we all know that to be the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. They prove God's ability to persevere his, uh, preserve, excuse me, his people. <laughs> Look at your life today. Many of you probably should be dead already. Just being real. You've come across brushes with death, but the Lord has preserved you because on his timeline, he still sees fit for you to be on this earth because there's a mission for you to accomplish. And you're still here because he's preserving your life. He's making sure that you won't come to ruin. Uh, Proverbs 26, 14. Love this verse. The righteous may fall seven times, but get back up. But one calamity is enough to destroy the wicked. You're going to stumble, but he's going to make sure he's going to provide for you. You're going to get up. You're going to continue to move forward. The application is this. If we remain obedient even unto death, the Lord's provisions will always come through. Don't ever doubt. You see, this is where it all starts. In the garden, Satan got Eve to doubt. He planted that seed. Did the Lord God really say? And whenever we begin to doubt, we start Doubting the credibility of God and his word. He said, my word is unchanging. It is never failing. You have to, I have to rest in those promises. You have to make your mind up that you're not going to let the situation of the world and the circumstances around you sway your opinion of who Jesus Christ is. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what these people say. It doesn't matter what all those things. They're just opinions. We have to settle the fact in our heart of hearts that I'm trusting in the word of the Lord. Amen? Remember what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. For who would ever save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for his sake will find it. I was encouraged this week. So you know, or maybe some of you don't know, the month of June in the MLB is Pride Month. And I don't mean pride for your team. I mean pride for, uh, yes, uh, alternative lifestyle choices for sexual encounters or intimate encounters. People that are not living by the plan, the, 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 what it says how we're supposed to live. I'm not going to get into any more than that, but I'm going to say that's what it is. Pride Month. It's going on right now. All throughout the country. You'll go to baseball games and you'll see teams with the rainbow uh, not being represented correctly, but inside the logo of your team and probably some patches on jerseys. That's just what it is. I read, uh, I read an article about uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. And it said five players from the Tampa Bay Rays decided, I'm not going to wear that. I'm not going to wear that. I'm going to wear the traditional Tampa Ray hat that just has our colors. And I'm not going to wear a, a jersey with the, you know, the pride, uh, whatever colors on my sleeve. And, 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 and I'm, para I'm paraphrasing and I'm quoting what one, what one player said. But he basically said, you know, we love these people. We want them to feel welcomed. But you must understand when it comes to putting something like this on my body, I won't tolerate it. 
I'm a believer. As Jesus Christ teaches, as, as me as a heterosexual male, I'm not to engage in that kind of uh, activity. Just like as a heterosexual male, I'm not to engage in any kind of sexual relations outside of my marriage with my wife. And I was just, I was overjoyed over that. That was just a great thing for me to stumble across for anybody as a believer. Because in the media, you see so much negative press on this and that. And though these things are real, it it can get overwhelming. You can get very discouraged hearing about what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on in our country with all these senseless killings, uh, the, the, the economy and going to Bitcoin and losing paper money entirely. And the fact that we printed $32 trillion in two years, what is the heck is going on? But when you hear things like, I stand for the, when they could have easily just wore it and nobody would have said nothing, but their personal conviction held them to, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and it doesn't matter. You want to believe what you want to believe, that's fine, but I'm standing on the proclamation of Jesus Christ, and you're not getting me off of that. That's a beautiful thing. Next, we see the statement, having his father's name written on their foreheads. The followers of Satan and the beast have a mark on their hands or on their forehead. But, but this mark is just a copycat of the idea behind the identity, the identifying seal of, on the foreheads of each of the 144,000, showing that they belong to the Father. I'm going to read this quote from Charles Spurgeon because I think it's just fitting. And it says, quote, And who were these people having his father's name written on their foreheads? No B's for Baptists, no W's for Westlanders, no E's for established church. They had their father's name and no one else's. What a deal of fuss is made on earth about our distinctions. We think such a deal about belonging to this denomination and the other. Why, if you were to go to heaven's gate and ask If they had any Baptists there, the angel would only look at you and not answer you. If you were to ask if they had any Wesleyans or members of the established church, he would say nothing of the sort. But if you were to ask him whether they had any Christians there, aye, he would say an abundance of them. They are all one now, all called by one name. The old brand has been obliterated. And now they have not the name of this man or the other. They have the name of God. Even their father stamped on their brow. I thought that's beautiful. I thought that was a great explanation for what we need to identify with as believers in Christ. It's interesting. I'm going to just throw it out there. It is what it is. You could take it or leave it. You could take it for what it's worth. But isn't it interesting that the word denomination rhymes with abomination? It may not be of any significance at all. I'm just saying it's interesting that the church has splintered off into various subgroups. It's, it is. It's just silly to me. Why do we have all these different groups? <clears throat> we all serve the true and living God. That's what the word Catholic really means. If you go back to its base roots, it means oneness, universal. That's a whole other topic. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not bashing the Catholic Church. I don't got time for that. I'm trying to be about my father's business. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 through 7 tells us, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being, are you not being merely human? For what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. 
I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And I think that puts us in perspective. It puts everything in perspective. It certainly does for any kind of person that's in any kind of servant leadership. Me and Daniel talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's not about him. It's not about me. We want to be about our father's business. We want to honor and glorify him. That's the whole point. That's how it should be in the body of Christ. The application is this. There are only really two groups. Believers, followers of Jesus Christ, and non-believers. Those who don't follow Jesus Christ. That's it. There's only two groups you fall into. The unnecessary fracturing of the church is not needed. Ultimately, true believers are all on the same team. That's why you can go to Zimbabwe, and if they have the Holy Spirit in them, I don't care what language is, I don't care how uncomfortable and hot and sweaty, and they, got, they, they ain't got no elect, electrical equipment, you're going to vibe with them because you got the same Holy Spirit. Or you go to China, and you know, yada, yada, you're dealing with the smog, and wooty woop, you got a mask on, not because of COVID, well, maybe because of COVID, but you're, you're going to vibe with those people because they're believers. You share the same Holy Spirit. That's why you look in this room, all the different diversity here. Different backgrounds. That's why your pastor can be tatted up. Because <laughs> it is what it is. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not me. The many uh, voices, uh, the voice of many waters as we're moving on, like the voice, uh, like, and like the voice of loud thunder. This is the voice of God. We, we learned about this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 25, and Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. Perhaps... God spoke here to proclaim his approval of these 144,000 faithful servants in the spirit of Matthew chapter 25, verse 22, where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you, don't you long to hear that? Oh, I long to hear that. You know, you know, it's going to relieve me that I, I actually did what I was supposed to do. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear from the Lord, you wicked servant. <laughs> you wicked servant, depart, I never knew you. Oh my gosh, you know how crushing that is? Oh, that's so horrible. May we not be deceived. And that's why every day we have to partner with the Holy Spirit. We have to ask him, lead me into truth today. Go before me in all my dealings. Help me to do what you call me to do. Empower me. You see, because in heaven, God, and in hell, the demons, they all know whether it's your work or God's work. They know if either God is working through me or if it's my work. If it's my work, it's going to burn. It's going to burn up. It's going to have no lasting power. But if it's God working through me, the powers of hell can do nothing against it. That's great. I'm so fired up about that. Don't you want the Holy Spirit to go before you, to empower you, to equip you for every good work? We should have a hunger and a strong zeal to want to do the work of the Lord. And I heard the sound of the harpists playing their harps. Remember that these elders of Revelation chapter 5, they had harps. That throws out that whole notion of, you cannot have no instruments. There are some denominations, they're like, you got to just sing a cappella. Singing a cappella is great. Nothing wrong with it. But don't be saying somebody's not a real Christian if somebody's up here with a guitar. I mean, David played the harp for crying out loud. You see how it gets so convoluted? Oh, you cannot play the drums. Bro, I'll bring an 808 drum up in here. <laughs> I will, too. I'll do it. As long as we're glorifying the Lord. It's the condition of the heart. It's the, it's the condition of the heart. It truly is. I'm tired of all that nonsense. It's too much. 
Perhaps this is where their music is heard, to accompany the worshipful singing of the 144,000 as they sing a new song unique to them. Remember, in Revelation, we just talked about this. In the first verse, the 144,000 have their feet firmly planted on an earthly Mount Zion. Yet their praise takes them right to the presence of the Lord, right before the throne. The application is this. In our praise and worship of the Lord God Almighty, we really can transport ourselves by being heard in heavenly places. It's another quote from Charles Spurgeon. He's, he's, a, he's a good man to quote. He's a godly man to quote. To be, to be wrapped in the praise to God is the highest state of the soul. To receive the mercy for which we praise God for is something. But to be wholly clothed with praise to God for the mercy received is far more. Why? Praise is heaven and heaven is praise. To pray is heavenly below, but praise is the essence of heaven above. When you bow in adoration, you are at your very highest. You see, heaven is not the place to learn that song. It must be learned on the earth. You must learn here the notes of free grace and dying love. And when you have mastered their melody, you will be able to offer to the Lord the tribute of a grateful heart, even in heaven, and blend it with the harmonies eternal. You see, every victory that you and I experience in our lives should take us deeper into praise of God. If we are not praising God more and more deeply with each passing day, are we really experiencing more victory? You see, Jesus Christ must be our portion. Not people, not relationships, not material things, not experiences, not worldly success, not anything else. He must be our portion if we want him to truly be our hope. You see, whatever is our portion, that is directly tied to our hope. We must be all consumed with Jesus Christ our indescribable gift. Amen. For they are virgins. That's the next portion of this, 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 uh, this section of scripture we're in. It says, uh, many take the virginity of these 144,000 as simply a symbol of their general purity. But remember, Paul recommended celibacy, celibacy, excuse me, in distressful times. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And Jesus spoke of woes unto those with children and families in that day. That's Matthew chapter 24. It isn't hard to see that God would call these 144,000 to a literal celibacy for the kingdom's sake during the great tribulation. If the term virgins is a picture of purity in general, it still reinforces the connection of the 144,000 with Israel. Israel is referred to frequently in the Bible as the virgin of uh, the virgin daughter of Zion. Isaiah chapter uh, 37 verse 22. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you. The virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you. The daughter of Zion. Again, the virgin daughter of Zion. Lamentations chapter 2 verse 13. What can I say for you? To whom, to what, excuse me, compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken you too, that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion, for your ruin is vast as the sea, who can heal you? And the virgin of Israel, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 13, cutie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask among the nations who has heard the like of this, the virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. These are all references just regarding uh, the, the virgin uh, of Israel, okay? 
All right, here's our last portion, and we're ending our message, uh, verses 4 and 5. It says, It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits of God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Okay, they follow Him wherever He goes. These 144,000 are the Jewish heritage. Yet they are also clearly believers in Jesus. Otherwise, they would not stand with the Lamb and follow Him wherever He goes. And they, would, uh, and they could not be without fault before the throne of God unless they were saved, unless they were converted from uh, you know, the belief in just the law to Jesus Christ being their Redeemer. Everyone who will be saved during the tribulation will be saved in the exact same manner as anyone today, by grace through faith. That's it. It's not works. It's not, it's not anything else. It's, it's accepting the fact that I'm a wretched sinner. I need salvation. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. I say, redeem me. Save my soul. Help me if you're real. Take me. Make, make me a new creation. Supernaturally, it happens. You're entered into the kingdom of heaven. Having a genuine personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the only way. The application is this. Even though the rapture of the church ends God's dealing with the church on earth, it certainly does not change the way people come to salvation or become a part of the larger family of God, which includes all the redeemed before and after the church. Next we see, these were redeemed from among men being first fruits to God and the Lamb. Because the 144,000 are the beginning of a greater harvest, they are known as the first fruits the godly nucleus of Israel, which is the, ta- is the token of redemption of that nation. Because they are described as first fruits, many have thought that they themselves will be instrumental in God's plan for bringing in a great ingathering during the tribulation. Uh, Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 describes an innumerable company saved out of the great tribulation. And these 144,000 described as first fruits may be used to preach the gospel to those who will be saved during this period of time. Romans chapter 11, verse 11 down through 31 explains how the Gentiles, how us Gentiles, right, are grafted into the vine. How because of the unbelief of the Jews in Jesus Christ, them not regarding him as their Messiah, we were grafted in. But you see, we must never become ungrateful or dare I say, even apostate, to just take it for granted. Because the reality is the Jews, the original branches, will be grafted back into that vine. This is what we see with the 144,000 represented as the first fruits of the tribulation saints. And today, as uh, Isaiah and Michelle comes up, when she, when she gets back, it's all good. You know, I could talk for a couple more minutes. I'm actually making good time, by the way. Well, Lou, Lou would be the teller if I'm making good time or not. <laughs> but today, as we partner with the Holy Spirit and invite him in to direct our paths, may we be those who ask him to guide our way, to empower us, to boldly proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ in love to all those around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's all good. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just thank you, Lord, that you have mercy Your mercies are new every morning. And Lord, you look for us to just begin to turn back to you. You're just wanting us to return to you, our first love. May that be the heart of every person under the sound of my voice this morning. That we would have a strong desire to want to be radically changed 
Lord, we can't do it in and of ourselves. We don't have the strength to do it. I don't have the strength to do it. Every time I try to change, it doesn't work. But when you supernaturally come in and do that rewiring of my heart, you change my heart, you change my mind, you make me have desires that are in alignment with your will. And Father, I pray that for us today. May we not get caught up in the things that are going on in the world today. For again, no one knows the time of the hour, only you. So may we just rest in the fact that you give us an assignment each and every day. And may we just be faithful in that. Father, we thank you and we love you. We give you all praise that you alone deserve. It's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.